0: Seated. I encourage, you, I, sorry, I encourage you to join me now in taking your personal Bible or P Bible and turning with me to our passage for this morning, which we find in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. So turn with me to Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. So we are taking a, a quick break this morning from our summer series we put the Proverbs, and going to Proverbs. I believe right now the plan is we will wrap that up next weekend, and then the following Sunday we will begin on our fall series of the book of Nehemiah. We're taking a break this morning because I want us to think through the question of why do we have children and youth ministry at our church? I think sometimes it's easy for us to just do things without thinking about it. It's just what a church does. But why do we invest people as volunteers, why do we invest time, space, prayer, and finances to these ministries? Why have children and youth ministries? So to answer this question, we're going to look at this Matthew passage and some others so we can answer this question biblically. We want to make sure we're not just doing this to do it, but that we have a biblical basis. We want to make sure we're doing what God wants us to do. So we'll answer that question this morning by looking at these passages together. So hopefully you've turned to Matthew 19. Let me pray for us. We'll come to God's word together. So we come to you now. and We pray for your blessings on this time. Uh, Lord, I pray that you be with me, that uh, every word I speak is only of your truth, that every word that is heard by the people who are here this morning and joining us online, they will only hear your truth. May we meet with you now in your word. May we hear Jesus. May we be comforted by the words of Jesus, by the truth of Jesus. May we be convicted of where we have sinned against you. May we be conformed more and more into your image so we can understand our call in this life as your people, as your sons and daughters, as your disciples. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15, we will stand together now for the reading of God's word. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. You had a better view than I did this morning, but I hope you enjoyed the sight of all these children and youth standing in front of us. These are the children, and we're, again, we're missing a few, but these are the children that participated in these summer ministries. Quest, the middle school conference, Horizon, the high school conference, uh, uh, music and drama camp, Camp Bon Clark and BBS, Sam Cathcart living at Bon Clarken for a month. Right? And that's just what we support this summer. Now usually we would also send a group on the youth mission trip. We some send youth and adults uh, on the Appalachian mission trip. We didn't do that this year for some reasons. And we also participate and support Camp Joy South Carolina. Our special needs camp conference for our denomination. That's all in one summer, folks. That's a usual summer. Now you, you add on that we have our fall retreats for both of our groups, our spring retreats for both of our groups, and then you add on our weekly ministries of Sunday school, children's groups, and youth groups. That's quite a bit of ministry that's catered to our children and youth, isn't it? So it's wonderful to see them up here this morning, ranging from, from eight-year-olds to a sophomore in college, right, Sam? So what a wonderful sight to see and to hear of these ministries that are drawing these children and youth closer to Jesus. But like I've already said, I want us to think about this, and I want us to think through why do we do this? Why do we have these children youth ministries at our church that we support? What, what we do here and what we send them out to. Why do we invest so much, if you think about it? Volunteers, Uh, time, space, prayer, finances, why do we invest so much? Well, we may answer, well, it's good for church growth. There are some of you whose testimony is you're here this morning uh, because of these ministries. Some of you had friends who were in youth group here, so you started coming and then you eventually got your parents to come, and you're still here because of that. Or maybe you came because there's uh, children's programs for your your children to to attend. So you've been to come and stay and we we got our hook in you and we didn't let go. But some of our testimonies are that you are here because of these ministries for children and youth. That's your connection to Bethel. So maybe that's why we have them. It's just for church growth. Well, if it was just a numbers game for us that we have people at the door each week kind of click in the number of people who come in. If it's just a number game, then, then that would be a good reason, right? be the only reason we would need. How many programs and what kind of programs can we have so we can get as many people in the door? But we know that church isn't a numbers game. We've fallen into this, um, how do I say it? We, we, we've fallen into this faulty view that the bigger the church, the healthier the church. And without saying a whole lot, but trying to tell you as much without saying the name, if that were true, then the largest church in this nation, if you think that was true, you can look at the largest church in this nation and see how untrue it is. In Houston, Texas, Thousands of people will gather this morning in in a converted old, the old Houston Rockets basketball stadium to hear a man with really nice hair and really white teeth stand up there who refuses to ever say the word sin. He'll probably say any other cuss word, but he won't say the word sin. Doesn't think it's good for people to hear about the word sin. So this isn't a number to get. Church health isn't predicated upon numbers. Church health is predicated on its people growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we don't have these ministries just for, uh, we don't have these ministries for children and youth just so we can get people in the door. But maybe another answer is because this is just what church is supposed to do, right? When you think about what a church does, what what should a church do, right? Well, they, they should have... Worship, right? That seems like a no-brainer. But we look around other churches, and they have children's ministries, and they have youth ministries. So if other churches are doing this, then then surely we ought to be doing this as well. But we're thinking that way. It kind of sounds like a kind of more holier way of when your parents used to ask you, and maybe you've asked this of your children, you were asked, well, would you jump off a bridge if all your friends were jumping off a bridge too? Now, when we... We were asked that question, we know the right answer. The right answer is no, of course not. That's the dumbest thing ever. But chances are, there are some of us in here who sat there and thought about it. And we have made it say out loud, but we're sitting there going, oh, depends on the bridge. Depends on the friends. It sounds like it'd be kind of fun. But we know that we aren't supposed to not think about things before doing them. There needs to be thought about why we are doing what we are doing. So we as a church should never look around other churches and say, well, because they're doing it, I guess we should as well. There needs to be thought into it. There needs to be prayer. There needs to be understanding about why we do what we do. So those aren't the answers. And what, what is the answer? Why, why does Bethel invest in children and youth ministries? Why do we invest so much in this? Well, I think the very simple answer is Jesus. Why do we do this? with well, Jesus? And that's always the right answer, right? That's always the safe answer. If you ever ask an answer or ask a question, of church, you can always answer with Jesus, and somehow it will be right. But at the core of why we do anything at this church, either it be our ministries for children, and youth, for how we choose to decorate the church, for what music is chosen for worship. Whatever is done in the church should always be done for Jesus. Folks, we only have one bullseye. And that bullseye is Jesus. All of our motivation, all of our goal should be for Jesus. Should be for his glory and for his enjoyment. We think about that's not just true for church, but that's true for for all of life, isn't it? We can take that and say that, that should be our bullseye. For all of life, right? We've, we've joked before, but we've, we've said it, You know, every good ARP knows the first short catechism question: What's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? That gives us a bullseye. And that bullseye is Jesus. But we can take that and, and, and apply it to our church: Is everything we do here done for Jesus? Is that our motivation for everything? And I mean everything that's done at Bethel, is it being done for the glory and enjoyment of Jesus? And if we aren't doing it for Jesus, then why are we doing it? And should we be doing it? Is everything we're doing, is it being done for Jesus? Well, we've answered a question. that Jesus is why we're doing this. Jesus is why we are investing in children and youth ministry. So let's look at this and say, well, how is it How is this true? How is this all for Jesus? Well I think the best answer to that we have to go back before Matthew and go back to, to Genesis, back to the beginning to the creation story. Now as we talked about before, God's first command to Adam and Eve as a couple was for them, for them to be fruitful and multiply. Now we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the, in the context of, of Proverbs 5, but there's also another implication here. And that is, God wanted Adam and Eve to have children. Have you ever thought about that? That what, what God told, the first thing he told Adam and Eve is, go out and have children. It can almost sound like that, that, that nagging mother, right, who, who's looking at her married son or married daughter and going, I'm really ready for grandchildren. I don't know what you're waiting on. I'm not getting any younger. And I don't think God was necessarily nagging, but he was commanding Adam and Eve Go out and have children. So God wanted the Garden of Eden to be filled with the laughter of children. When it talks about him coming out in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve, God eventually wanted to come down in the cool of the evening to visit with his with, with the with the people there, Adam and Eve and the family. And he wanted to come down and he wanted to step over Legos. Right? So they wouldn't hurt his feet. He wanted little Junior to come running up to him to show him his new his new finger painting. He wanted to see little Susie over there jumping ropes. He he wanted to see the twins out in the backyard wrestling with each other. When when God created the garden, he created it wanting to see children in it. He wanted to see the mess of children all over the place. He wanted to, to hear and see children playing and laughing. And I think that's a wonderful implication of the doctrine of creation for us to think through because we're talking about this, we're we're talking about pre-sin, right? This is the the sinlessness of of, of Eden. And and so and and the sinlessness of all this, God said, go out and have children. God wanted a big, happy family right there in the middle of the Garden of Eden. And so we think about that and we, we take that into consideration along with all of Scripture we think of Genesis telling us that in the beginning it's God who created the heavens and the earth and then verse 2 tells us it was the Holy Spirit who was hovering over the over the nothingness of it and then we go to Colossians where Paul explains that Jesus was both the agent and goal of creation. We see then that the fullness of God, the Trinity, was involved in creation. So again, we have this doctrine of creation that tells us that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit wanted children to In the garden, ordained for a big, happy family to be right there. God loves children. Jesus loves children. It was a part part of the plan for his perfect creation. God wanted to see the the, the garden just littered with children. But we get to chapter 3. And sin happened. It entered into the picture and it messed it all up. All things are now broken in sin. Sin has now affected all things. However, we see that sin did not diminish God's love for families, for children, and for his purpose of them, for them. So why do we have these ministries? Because that's always been a part of God's goal for us. His plan for us. He always wanted to see children. He always has loved the children. Why do we do this? Because we see it right there in the creation story. We fast forward to Noah. And we remember that Noah was the only one identified as being righteous. Out of all the land, out of all the people in the world, it was only Noah who was righteous. The only one identified as righteous. But who was on the ark? Was it Noah on a solo trip? Noah, Miss Noah, their three, their three sons and their wives. So we think of the story Noah and Ark, we know Noah, Miss Noah, uh, the three sons and their wives. So when God decided to wipe away sin from all the earth, he saved a family. He saved a mother, a father, their children, and now their children's spouses. What's the implication of that? The implication is after the flood floodwaters receded part of the a part of command for Noah and his family was to repopulate the earth. Part of God's plan for wiping sin away from the earth was for it to be repopulated with a righteous man's family for them to have children. So why do we have these ministries? Because that was God's plan for us post-flood. Noah and his family go out and they begin to repopulate the earth. We then move forward to Abraham. And we find that God makes a covenant with Abraham, but it wasn't just a covenant with Abraham, with his family as well. And and the summary of this covenant is that God says to Abraham and to his family, I will be your God and you will be my people. And do you remember the sign of that covenant? Circumcision. And circumcision was applied to who? To the males who were eight days old. God so loves the children that they are included in his covenant. That's why we have infant baptism. That's why we all, when we grew up in church, learned to sing that song, Jesus loves the little children. All the children in the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. Why do we have these ministries? Because that's who we are. That's our covenant theology being fleshed out. God loves families. He loves children, so we invest in them. And of course, we see that continue on into the New Testament. We think of of Peter standing up and preaching, and he says, All his promises of the gospel are for you and for your families. We go to the book of Acts and we think of the Philippian jailer who professed belief after the earthquake, and what happens, he goes home and he is baptized along with his family. And the way the Greek works there is very much implied that there are children there. Throughout Scripture we see over and over again, God loves families. He loves children. They are important to him. They are part of his plan of redemption. And that's why families are known as little churches. God works through families. These families include children. Why do we have these ministries? Because we see from creation to Noah to Abraham to uh, to Peter's preaching to the Philippian jailer that God loves the little children. He loves the laughter of children. He loves the sound of the pitter-patter of their feet. They are important to God. He loves them. They have always been a part of his redemptive plan. But God isn't just a spectator. He's a participant. And we see this in the life of Jesus. As I was talking about this, Brett and I were talking about this a little bit ago. We said before, I'm sick and tired of summer. And I can't wait for fall to get here. And after fall, in four months, a little bit less than four months, we will celebrate What? Celebrate Christmas. And what do we celebrate at Christmas? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one for whom and through whom all things were created, was born. But we think of this story that the God of the universe, the second person of the triumph Godhead, was born as a little baby and laid down in a manger on that first night. God isn't merely a spectator to children. God is a participant. Was born as a little child. Emmanuel, God incarnate. And we don't have many details of the childhood of Jesus. Luke tells us that he grew in wisdom and stature in the eyes of man and God. But we do have this story that most of us are familiar with. And that that's when Jesus was 12 years old. And his parents take him up to Jerusalem. And they, and they go out there. And when they leave a couple days out, they realized they had left Jesus behind. Can you imagine that feeling? Oh my goodness, Mary, we left God back in Jerusalem. We've got to go, we've got to go find him. So they go back, and they look all over and where do they find Jesus. They find him at the temple. And he's talking with the religious leaders and teachers, and they are amazed at his knowledge. And I think it's easy for us to come to that story and shrug it off and go, Well, of course they're amazed by Jesus. He's Jesus right? Of course he knows all this. He's Jesus. But I think part of the story of Jesus amazing as teachers points back to how Joseph and Mary raised Jesus. Remember, when we talk about incarnation of Jesus, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. Now, 100% man, I want to be a little careful with because we don't fully know all the implications. We don't know at what point along Jesus' life that he he, he gained this under this full understanding of who he was. So I want to be we' we'll be very careful about that but I think this story points us to how Joseph and Mary raised Jesus they they obviously taught him the Bible they obviously taught, taught, uh, took him to worship they raised him in the fear and admonition of the Lord I don't think this story is all about Jesus in his hundred uh, uh, percent divinity but I think there's there's a part of his humanity in this pointing us to Joseph and Mary and how they raised him. And at no point are we given an indication that Joseph and Mary thought to themselves, well, you know, our son Jesus is God. We were up late last night so we can skip church because Jesus is God. He already knows what he needs to know. We don't need to go over this Bible story with him because, I mean, you know, Mary, he is Jesus. He probably knows it better than we do. I think... We're seeing, we see that Joseph and Mary took it to heart to raise Jesus in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They loved him. He was their son. They loved him and raised him as Christian parents ought to. They knew that God loves the little children. So they raised Jesus in that way. And yes, he's God. He is also their son. And they raised him accordingly. I think Jesus' human life as a child points to the love of God for children because that's exactly how Joseph and Mary approach parenting little Jesus. And that brings us to our passage this morning. We find Jesus in the middle of teaching. There, there's crowds all around and all of a sudden these crowds, these families come pushing through, mothers and fathers and, and grandparents, and they're trying to bring their children and grandchildren to Jesus so he can lovingly, blessed him by laying his hands on them and then sitting them on his lap so he could pray for them. Because they know that their God loves children. But the disciples don't seem to get this, do they? Because as as the parents and families make their way up, they're rebuking them, right? Rebuke's a strong word. They're not just saying, hey, wait till later. They're like, get out of here, dummy. This is not the time for you. Quit wasting Jesus' time. what's Jesus' response? He stops all teaching. He looks at his disciples and he says, let the little children come to me. And I think Matthew is painting for us here a wonderful picture of Jesus and children. That he's surrounded by a gaggle of children. And they're probably not the best behaved children, what children are. But he's surrounded by children who are wiggling, who are... Running, laughing, giggling, a boy's probably pulling a girl's ponytail, one boy's giving another boy wet willy. And they're being children. And Jesus patiently blesses each of them. He prays for them. Probably laughed with them. Maybe played with them. Gives them a hug and sends them on their way with their families. That's such a comforting passage and picture, isn't it? And that's exactly why we have youth and children ministries at this church. Let the little children come to us. We want nothing more than to be a church where we are a haven for children and youth. We want to hear babies crying in church. If we don't hear a baby crying in church, then we are a dying church. We want to see children come up front for children's sermons. We, we want them to come here so they can hear about Jesus who loves them so much. We want them to come here so they can learn about the Bible. And learn what the Bible teaches them about Jesus. But also about what it teaches them about themselves. That they are, they are sinners and they need to be saved. And they can hear more than about this Jesus who so loves them that he will save them from their sins. That's why we want to send them to retreats and camps and conferences where they can go be kids and youth and they can eat way too much sugar and they can aggravate their volunteer or their chaperones. And they can run around and be dumb, but they can have they can have fun. But most of all, they can learn more about Jesus. That's why we have these ministries. That's why we have VBS. I know he's not going to like this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I think we need to give Cal an, a... a, a not now. A round of applause for VBS this summer, but maybe later, pat him on the back because I think it slipped both of our minds. He called me about a month before VBS, and he said, "Do you think we should do this?" And I said, "No, I think I think we're out of time. Don't worry about it." He goes, "Okay, well, we're going to do it." You love those phone calls when somebody says, "Hey, what do you think?" You tell me, well, oh, yeah, you're wrong. We're going to do it. we're going to do it this way." And that's what Cal did with me. And he was right. And I think he put together one of the better VBSs that we've had in quite a time. That's so why we do VBS. So our children can come and they can laugh at silly skits. And they can go and sit down and hear about the Bible and hear about Jesus. And then go make crafts that they can take home and then eat some snacks. That's so why we have an intern who, by the way, he's doing really good. He's sitting up towards the front and has grown a beard. This guy is really excelling as as an intern. That's why we have an intern, so he can primarily work with the youth so he can get to know them and focus on sharing Jesus with them. This is why we have all of this. Let me go out and just say this. This should be the most important thing to us. We're given the picture here in this passage that these families are going to do anything they can to get, their family, to get their children to Jesus. They're going to push through the crowd. That mother is going to hear Peter rebuke her and she's going to tell Peter what he can do with that rebuke because she's going to get her little baby boy close to Jesus. We are a church, and I'm saying this generally, we are a church who will find any excuse to not go to church on Sunday, won't we? We have this, and we have that. We'd rather be here, or we'd rather be doing that. And we have these families who are risking the wrath of Peter and Matthew and John and Thomas. We have the current scenario, we pray for this morning, of people in Afghanistan who know they're probably going to be killed. And you know what they did this morning? They went to church. And they took their little children to church. Because they want their children to hear and know about Jesus. We want to be a church. To be the place where our children and youth can grow closer to Jesus. That's why we do all this. Arise and Quest, VBS, Camp Bon Clark, and Weekend Retreat, Sunday School, Youth Group, Children's Group. All this for the sole purpose of Jesus. And here's another reason why we do it. Because we're told this story later on. And the Apostle Paul is out traveling and he meets this, this young guy named Timothy. And Timothy is shy. He's timid. He wants nothing more than to be a wallflower. But Paul gets to know Timothy and he's impressed by Timothy's story. And Timothy's story is very simple. He had a godly mother and he had a godly grandmother who every Sunday took him to church. And every evening gathered him around the table and taught him about Jesus. Paul, in all his preaching and all his journeys, was so impressed by that that he reminds Timothy of that in his letter to him Second 2 Timothy. And God used that upbringing to raise up a pastor in the early church. And when you go through the history of the church, you see over and over again the testimonies of, of, of children who were born into a godly family and were taken to a godly church, that their parents did everything they possibly could to get them closer to Jesus you want to know why the church is still here today is because of testimonies like that. Now, God uses other testimonies for sure, but a major part of the health and growth and, and survival of the church, humanly speaking, outside of God's sovereignty, but humanly speaking is the fact that there have been godly families who will do anything to get their children closer to Jesus. And we want to be the church where our families do that. And where families can come to do that. Frederick Douglass said, It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken adults. And how true that is. We want to build strong children. So we can have strong churches. We want to help build strong families that operate like a little church where Jesus is first and Jesus is most. Where he is loved and worshipped and taught where Jesus is the Lord and Savior and there's no greater love or delight in that family than the love and delight of Jesus Christ. That has been God's plan since the garden. And we will close with this. We often say our children are the future of the church. How are we investing in our children? How are we investing in the future of our church? We love Bethel. Bethel's been here for a hundred something years. You might tell me, hundred fifty years. Am I doing that? Hundred fifty years like that. We want to see it be here for another hundred fifty 150 years more, don't we? We invest in children and youth ministries. So thank you for being the church that has invested. We saw it this morning. We see it over and over. again. Let us continue to invest and let us continue to see how God blesses that investment as we watch our children grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord as they learn that Jesus loves the little children, even them. Let's pray.